It is evening of the resurrection's first day when the two defeated disciples recognize the risen Christ. They race back to Jerusalem to tell the others that he is again alive. Who he was and all that he taught were vindicated by heaven. The location of Emmaus is unknown these days. Its name happens to mean warm spring. Whatever happened there proved to be crucial in relaunching his tiny community that otherwise would have died out when its leader was executed. So too was the resurrection account essential to many who joined his group down the centuries that were to come. You might be intrigued to know that a legend of antiquity originating eight centuries before Christ expresses the motif of the so-called vanishing hitchhiker. Recall Romulus, legendary founder and first king of Rome. As in the Jesus story, the body of the recently killed hero went missing. One Proclus soon after walks the road between Alba Longa, an ancient city near the future site of Rome, toward that site when he encounters the risen Romulus. Romulus teaches the tra traveler various things and then ascends into heaven. Romulus was lionized because he was a mighty warrior and his city, Rome, became fabulously wealthy with unmatched military prowess. Romulus was also a brother killer, having slain his twin, Remus. Several accounts claim that his father was Mars, guardian of soldiers, sponsor of war, destabilization, and destruction. The Emmaus story, on the other hand, of course, valorizes love, forgiveness, justice for all, peace building, and so on. This story eternalizes the sovereignty of God, of good, mercy, and kindness. It's pretty obvious that when any of us imbibes the warrior spirit of Romulus, gives it a home in our body and mind, we resurrect him in and among us. Whenever any of us lets into our bodies and minds the risen Christ, however, then he becomes our companion on the way, as on the Emmaus Road long ago. I'm making a big transition now. It is baseball season. I'd like to show how one of the greatest of athletes, Jackie Robinson, the first black man to play in the major leagues, who suffered greatly on that account 
and possibly learned compassion from it, expressed a spirit incarnating Christ. In a recent New Yorker is a poem by Robert Pinsky that I would like to read this morning. You may know that in 1951, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants, now the San Francisco Giants, were in a tight race to win the National League Championship and then go to the World Series. They were tied for first place going into the season's final regular game. At the end of the very last inning, a Giants player of no particular renown hit a game-winning home run. Many know his name, but they may not know who the pitcher was who lost the game for the Dodgers. That was Ralph Branca. In Pinsky's poem, Branca, different themes are interwoven, but at the end, all is nicely tied together, and you might notice its pertinence to today's gospel. Here is the poem. Ralph Branca was the 15th of 17 children. This poem is not the poem of the speaker. His father was an immigrant from Calabria. These words are those of Robert Pinsky speaking. Branca wore Dodger uniform number 13. Speaking is the punchline of a Jewish joke. Some Romans called Calabrians Africani. Brooklyn had its own daily, the Brooklyn Eagle. At 85, Branca learned about his mother. He was 21 when Robinson joined the Dodgers. At 11, I loved Robinson for his daring running the bases, stealing home his fire. Branca was one of the few who befriended him. I was too young to understand his mission, the fuel of that dancing to taunt the pitcher. Robinson never forgot Branca's kindness. What the old man found out about his mother is she was born a Jew in Hungary, Kati, for Catherine. After he gave up the most famous home run ever, back in the clubhouse, Branca lay weeping, face down. Kati gave birth to 17 Catholic children. The Giants won the pennant, 1951. Branca means claw, a fit name for a pitcher. His teammates thought it best that he cry alone. But, quote, only my dear friend Jackie, who knew me so well, came over and put his arm around my shoulder. The Nazis killed the aunts and uncles 
Branca didn't know existed until he was old. 42, in itself a nothing of a number. The Dodgers traded Branca to the Tigers. Grief, with its countless different ways and strains. Glory, a greater thing than success, but slower. Some of the Tigers, who had been giants, explained to Branca how the giants had stolen the signs from opposition catchers the telescope in center, center field, wires, buzzers. Branca chose not to talk about it. It's all in Prager's book. His research unearthed Kati, those aunts and uncles. The Dodgers were taken from Brooklyn by their owner. I, Robert Pinsky, choose not to say his name. I didn't live in Brooklyn, but I knew the score. I knew it was a kind of underdog place. Nowadays, once a year, all major leaguers wear Jackie Robinson's number 42. In the joke, the person who answers the telephone at Goldberg, Goldberg, and Goldberg keeps replying that Goldberg is out of the office, and, and so is Goldberg. <laughs> well, all right, let me talk to Goldberg, speaking. <laughs> Robinson spoke to Branca. If not for you, he said, we never would have made it this far. Jackie Robinson might have incarnated Romulus, the brutal warrior, the consummate winner, even if by violence. But no, this black athlete had learned compassion through his own terrible suffering. And he gave body to the spirit of the risen Jesus instead. He told Branca the shamed crushed and humiliated man, if not for you, we never would have made it this far. And so, like Jackie Robinson, may all of us be people of the resurrection, kind, inclusive, hospitable, filled to the brim with compassion.